0: This is a CNA Podcast. Now, Health Matters with Daniel Martin. Welcome aboard, everybody, as I recognize World Family Doctor Day 2023, which is recognized around the world on Friday, May 19th. Our family doctors play such a critical role as do our allied health professionals, everyone really in the, uh, the primary care teams when it comes to helping us age in place when it comes to helping us manage our long-term conditions, when it comes to the idea of community health as well, and we want to pay tribute to this World Family Doctor Day, as I speak to Assistant Professor Lee Eng Sing. Uh, Professor Lee is a family physician and Deputy Director of the Clinical Research Unit at the National Healthcare Group Polyclinics. He's also, incidentally, by the way, the first practicing primary care family physician to have obtained a PhD in Singapore. Professor Lee, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hi, Daniel.
1: Uh, happy yes. World
0: Hi. Family Doctor Day, I guess.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. And happy World Family Doctor Day to all doctors, family doctors in Singapore as well. Okay, so let's get the terminology, this thing. Uh, there's World, right. there's Family Doctor.
0: And that, I think, in Singapore for many years, we use GP. And then, right. the, I mean, there's the community, healthcare professional and stuff like that. Is is Family Doctor
1: the same as GP? Is the same thing? Uh, we use it... Um, Equally, uh, family doctor equals general practitioner. But it really comes from where, where this is coming from, as in which country is using it. So general practitioner is usually term from the UK. And fa- um, the term family physicians, which is another term that's commonly used, usually comes from America. And in Singapore, it's a mixed bag of people who are pro-UK, pro-American. So you have GPs, uh, general practitioners or family physicians all mixed together. And it can sometimes be very confusing. And some, sometimes people just call family doctors, which is equal to family physicians or general practitioners. A little yeah.
0: mishmash of both of them down there. But it doesn't reflect any difference in terms of training, qualifications, efficacy, or anything like that, huh?
1: Not, no, not at all.
0: Yeah. Just, just terminology in many ways. So I'm curious, like in uh, in medical school, is it termed family medicine or general yes.
1: practice? What is it? It's termed family medicine, as far as I remember, in in my school. Yeah, it's family medicine. How did that happen for you, bro i I'm very curious. How does somebody
0: get on the path to becoming a, a family medicine
1: practitioner? I I don't belong to the to the usual. Um, I didn't like family medicine as a medical student. Um, Partly because um, I was sold to the idea of like, oh, I like to use my hands. I want to do surgery. You want to be a surgeon.
0: Uh, I knew we all want, you know, everyone uh, wants to be
1: a surgeon, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I wanted to be a different surgeon. I wanted to be an obstetrician and gynecologist ah. because I bring life. I do a lot of counseling and I can play with my hands, do some unique things. And there's a lot of research in that area. And so I, I wanted to go into that. Uh, but then uh, things didn't happen that way. Uh, when I came back to Singapore, I was offered to be a family physician and that's where it was really a blessing in disguise because I really, really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, simple as somebody having a mouth ulcer, I was like, oh gosh, what should I be doing? Uh, when do I start a blood pressure medicine? How many times do I have to check the blood pressure before I say that you have blood, high blood pressure? And and then I realized that, hey, this is the things people on the streets, people in the community talk about, and you being a doctor have no idea what people are talking about. And I started learning how to put simple languages to explain what family medicine is, uh, how the conditions affect their life. And I grew to love the job and started to sort of like, hey, um, family medicine has been portrayed the wrong way. That's why me as a young medical doctor as well, as when I was a medical student, didn't sort of really like family medicine. So I, I was on this path, enlightened path to hopefully change the view of everyone.
0: I love that approach of almost having that paradigm shift in a way, because that's something I've talked about on this show for over a decade, which is we have to start thinking of our health in terms of the whole individual. It's not just one medical condition you're dealing with. It's the whole individual. Mm -hmm. And the family physician, I think, is really on the forefront of that. You're thinking of the whole patient because you know the family history. You've been seeing them for a long time. You know that, oh, this person might also have diabetes, might also have blood pressure. That's the thing, right? What a family physician can do. You're you're really trained to really see the whole patient as a whole.
1: Yes, and how the job affects their life, how their family financial uh, situations are, what are the capacity in the family or the resources that they can cope with whatever things that we ask them to do, like go and exercise five times a week. Does everybody have the time to exercise five times a week? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So, so it's really very person-centered care over a long duration of time to sort of to help a patient to live together with them to the ups and downs and I must say uh, a lot of patients become friends uh, in the end and they give me a lot of life advice as well.
0: That, I love that, that it's going both ways as well. That's fascinating. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm curious, roughly, I would love to get your insight into having gone from, you know, growing to love this and to become passionate about it and where it is today in terms of family physician, family health. Wh- what is your opinion about the important role of family doctors in Singapore and community health?
1: I think it is the bedrock of any healthcare system and that every patient should be seeing at least one doctor who's able to sort of cover everything from the head to the toe, from the cradle to the grave of all the conditions and all the lives ups and downs, including mental illnesses that they have so that they can go to this one person for advice, for help. And this one person can then coordinate the care within the more and more complicated healthcare system, you should go here. You should get advice from this person. I'm not really sure what's happening here. Let's observe for a little while and then we'll see how things go. Uh, just like the marshmallow thing that you were talking about earlier, you, you, you don't have to get a treatment, to get a tablet for whatever symptoms you have today. Let's wait for two days. Let's wait for three days. Do You really need the antibiotics. Uh, let's see how things go. And I thought this advisor throughout their life as well as their family will be very, very important to sort of help sustain healthcare costs and make sure that everybody's happy within the healthcare system.
0: Quite right, indeed. And for years, I've talked about the problem of Dr. Hopping, for example, and how that can actually step your your medical treatment backwards in some ways if if Dr. Hopping was a problem and an issue. But the idea of sticking with one, and that's possible, I think, but can that happen in a polyclinic? You might have to see a different doctor each time, right? Will you still be under
1: the same doctor each time? Um, So... What the the polyclinics have been doing, especially the National Healthcare Group, uh, we have started working as a teamlet. A teamlet uh, consists of two doctors, one care manager, which is a nurse, very good at doing counselling, as well as a care coordinator, who's usually a layperson but trained in the healthcare setting to sort of help make appointments, for example, uh, cancer screenings uh, and stuff like that. And so we enrol a fixed group of patients, maybe up to 4,000, 5,000, They always come back to these four people because it's impossible to sort of do that. And it's like a little clinic within the polyclinics. And there are many of such teamlets within the polyclinic so that the 4,000 to 5,000 people that the teamlet is in charge of will be taking in charge of them for whatever things. So, for example, when during the earlier days in the polyclinic where I was super busy, if a patient that says they're going to turn up did not turn up, I'll be like, oh, I've got one less patient to see. Better day but the patient could be so sick at home that they didn't come. The patient could have been hospitalized, so who's going to check whether what's wrong with them? Did they forget about the appointment? Do they still have medicine, uh, especially if they have chronic disease? And our care coordinator would then give them a call to find out what happened. Did you forget or were you so unwell? Do you need help? Do you need somebody to visit you or do you need us to call the ambulance? Uh, can we extend the medication for you for two to three weeks so that we can give you an appointment to come back again? So that four to 5,000 people will always be taken care of no matter what life situation they are in, uh, especially if they cannot make it to the appointment because of work or they just totally forgot about it.
0: The teamlet approach. Interesting. Fascinating. Coming up, we're going to continue recognizing World Family Doctor Day 2023. My guest is a family physician and deputy director of the Clinical Research Unit at the National Healthcare Group, Polyclinics, Assistant Professor Lee Eng-sing. Joining me, stay tuned to Health Matters. <music> Now, Health Matters with Daniel Martin. Back on Health Matters here on CNA 93. Good to have you on board, everybody, recognizing World Family Doctor Day 2023. It happens every year on May 19th. And uh, in recognition of that, my guest on the program today is helping us understand the important role that family doctors play in community health. Assistant Professor Liang Sing is here, family physician and deputy director of the clinical research unit at NHGP. Professor, let's talk a little bit more about how you got into this and how you continue to fall in love with it over and over again. You talked to us about how you you discovered the your passion for family medicine. But I'm curious, you are the first practicing primary care family physician to obtain a PhD in Singapore. So clearly, MD, not enough for you. You needed a double doctor. You wanted to be double doctor,
1: is it? What's going on? Uh, no, no. <laughs> that, that, that was not the motivation to be a double doctor. So... I, I realized that a lot of my colleagues, uh, they're also busy working in the clinic. Um, we did work long hours, including especially the, uh, the general practitioners in the nighttime, in the afternoons, on Saturdays, uh, oh no, sorry, on Saturdays as well as on Sundays. So a lot of times there's not much research ongoing and for, for family medicine to sort of grow and to become uh, attuned to, to how things are moving on in science, we need to do our own research. No other specialties will sort of do uh, a research to sort of say, this is how family medicine should practice because family doctors may not even approve it. We we have to do it ourselves. So in order for medicine not to stagnate, I thought that uh, really in the academic realm of how we practice, we should sort of up ourselves to a different level such that academically, we can provide and do good research such that it can, inform and change and improve the practice that we are doing. At the same time, uh, I hope that it can also raise the standards of all of us together and attract more uh, young medical doctors, unlike myself, many, many years ago to sort of choose family medicine as a potential career
0: especially when you have yeah. that added component of continuous research and new developments, innovation based on local research. I think that's the yeah. other thing that for, for too long, especially in the medical fraternity and days gone past, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was this reliance on international data, which sometimes may not have had too much relevance because maybe the sample size of the or the group didn't apply to the Asian population or to the local Singaporean experience. Yeah. So that's also very important, right? To also have our own representation in the data and the information.
1: That's right. So our own culture, um, the, the nuances of the context of our living environment, that would change how a person will respond to a certain disease and our genetic makeup. All that, all that is very, very different. So you can't sort of say that because the study was done in a Caucasian population uh, and this drug works very well on them, it should work well on Asians. Yep, Exactly. Tell me a little and, bit more about that. This is so interesting because, how? Okay, give me an example.
0: For example, how has your role in research helped to maybe contribute to the primary care ecosystem? Are there any um, case studies that you can cite?
1: Um, I I don't have uh, a particular study because a lot of times what I've been doing with my team is actually still trying to describe the phenomenon, especially the phenomenon of multi mobility which is a very big word for for people with multiple chronic conditions. So a lot of clinical practice guidelines that are developed usually by specialists and then passed down to, to the, the the family doctors to sort of practice on the ground is because they're so into one field and they know the heart disease very, very well, they know high blood pressure very well, they know diabetes very well, and they come up with these protocols and best practices for general practitioners or doctors to sort of do. But in real life, especially in an aging society, I don't see a patient A with just one condition. The patient has one, two, three, even four or five. And the drugs I'm giving for number one uh, may be in contradiction to the drugs that may cause side effects if it's given for patient with uh, the the condition B. So in essence, the, the, the family doctor needs to sort of play around, adjust, according to the patient's life circumstances and what's the priorities in their life to say, maybe we should do this first and then we do on other things or maybe there are other things that are more important. So multimorbidity, which is people with multiple chronic conditions is so common in family practice now that using single uh, clinical disease guidelines just doesn't work anymore. In fact, a poor patient, if they have five conditions, imagine piling them up with five different drugs or more than five different drugs for each condition and then to do blood tests, go for different appointments for different conditions to see different specialists for different conditions. They have to be a professional patient.
0: Exactly. Uh, and, and then you, not only do you have the multi-morbidity to worry about, you have polypharmacy to worry about where yep, somebody's taking 10, exactly. 10, 11, 12 pills per day.
1: Yeah. So all my work so far has been trying to sort of describe this phenomenon and trying to describe the prevalence, the incidence of multimorbidity in our local context, rather than just getting it from uh, a Western uh, nation and stuff like that. And then we're sort of now working on trying to think of ways to sort of help to prevent this, uh, to prevent people from developing multimorbidity. So Healthy SG is a great way right? Uh, improving, uh, it's, it's just not doctors doing that. We, we can't get doctors to just help patients to reduce themselves from developing uh, chronic conditions. It has to be like a whole of society, whole, a whole of the nation thing with the community, with the families, with the schools. Um, everybody sort of take part to sort of help to do that. And we can help coordinate. We can help uh, patients with that. And then to prevent complications, we can also do that such that they also don't have to go on to see a specialist because uh, they need to have amputation of the leg because the diabetes has gone so too far down the road. So that's the role, the important role of family doctors. They can sort of maybe help to control this this tsunami of multimorbidity that's coming to our society, especially for aged society or super aged society as what the uh, government has mentioned recently.
0: I'm so glad to hear you talk about that. I want to pick up on that in a moment. We'll be back on Health Matters. Stay tuned. Now, Health Matters with Daniel Martin. Back on Health Matters right here on CNA 938. Prof, I'm so glad to hear you talk about that because that is the one feedback that I get from so many of my listeners and so many of people have been following my show for a long time, which is the idea that they feel a little bit lost sometimes because there are so many medications that they're on. There are so many health conditions that they're trying to juggle and balance and deal with at the same time. And some of them have cited to me issues where, for example, you know, they they thought they've been taken off a certain medication but then to be safe their family physician has topped it up again just in case you know Um, And even though that because that was the last diagnosis uh, or the last prescription that happened from the specialist let's say so sometimes you know there is that feeling of being lost because we trust the doctor we trust our family doctor and physician a lot. And if you tell me I'm going to take these 10 tablets, I will take these 10 tablets. So, so I mean, is that also something that needs to be addressed maybe in this whole approach that you talked about, which is this idea that th- there needs to be better communication, I guess, between, I don't know, the specialists, the family physicians, the community health practitioners, just to make sure that we're not, I don't know, double dosing
1: in some cases. Um, uh, uh, exactly. So, so I think you brought up the, 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 maybe the, the good term is shared decision making. That that must be a decision that's made by the patient because it is the patient's condition. The patient lives that whole life with those conditions. He or she will know more about the conditions of how it is with all the burden related to the illness than any doctors or healthcare professionals. And we really, really need to listen to them and then come with the best advice together with the patient to make sure that care fits the patient Rather than this is what our healthcare system is, you try to fit our system, but really the care should fit into how the lifestyle is, what the capacity is. And we as doctors also need to sort of reduce what we call the treatment burden. So as a doctor myself, in my younger days, if you as a patient uh, tends to have the condition poorly controlled, the first thing that comes to me is I need to see you more often. I need to give you more medicine. And then, if you have three or four other medications, and uh, sorry, four, three or four other conditions, and all the other doctors do the same, you'll be seeing the doctors more often taking more medicine with polypharmacy. So, treatment burden is unfortunately the burden that the healthcare system, especially healthcare providers, inevitably add on to the patient's burden on top of the illness burden, and really need to relook at the whole thing and say, hey, maybe I should slow down a little bit. I need to coordinate, have a team discussion with all the specialists or the healthcare professionals, other allied health to say how we can manage this uh, uh, this patient more holistically without overburdening them with lots of different treatments.
0: And we have to be empowered patients as well. Yes. I need to bring yep. up to my doctor and I hope that my doctor will not take offense when I say things like, hey doc, if I'm taking the metformin, I'm feeling very weak and lethargic all day long and I can't function well. Are there lower doses that I can explore? Can we try a different medication? I mean, how is it to to be an empowered patient, to bring it up? I think a lot of, especially our elderly, might feel that
1: they don't want to anger the doctor. You know what I mean? Mm, um, I think things have changed quite a bit, but we do really have to respect a patient's choice because sometimes patients just don't know what, what's best. And you really need to get to know the patient to say, How much do you want to be involved in the decision? Or do you want to make the decision for you? We really have to respect the patient and everybody is different. Everything is really, very, very nuanced. And and this is the reason why having this long-term relationship with individual patient, knowing their life circumstances, makes things slightly easier for the family doctor. Especially, I've seen patients who have refused to do a certain thing for years and years And then a good friend passed away because of a certain disease. And suddenly they changed their mind. And we must be prepared that we are humans. We all change our decisions. We all change our mind. It's all right to change your mind and don't give up hope. Quite
0: Uh, right indeed. We're going to leave it there. But thank you. You're quite right in saying that. Happy World Family Doctor Day. Thank you so much for joining me. Assistant Professor Liang Singh, who is Family Physician and Deputy Director of the Clinical Research Unit at NHGP. This has been Health Matters. I'm Daniel Martin. Before making any decisions based on the information in our program, please consult a medical professional.